Special delivery on the way. Welcome to episode 72 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're new, allow me to introduce myself. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM on all socials. That's at Sir DRJM. So why not go find me on Twitter at Sir DRJM? Give me a follow, reach out to me there. I'd love to interact with you if you have questions, comments, topics for the show, inquiries, whatever you've got about the Overwatch League, about Overwatch, Overwatch 2, or video games in general. Hit me with them there. You can tweet at me. You can DM me. Whatever you've got, I'd love to interact with you. And, of course, bring your thoughts onto the show. But enough with all that. Let's get things going here because we've got a lot to cover this week. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends and all that jazz. And, of course, if you're listening to this and you'd like to hear more of my thoughts as well as a few others, why not check out the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast, also available on podcast services everywhere. Ready, Set, Pwn is your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant in the Overwatch League. On today's episode, we're going to take a look at some rumors about what happened to Overwatch 2's PvE and what's going on with that. We'll talk about the reintroduction of Wrecking Ball into the Overwatch League for this past weekend's games and the futures, of course, and we'll dive into this past weekend's games themselves. So, without further ado, let's dive on in. Raising the volume! Alright, everybody. For our first article, we're going to head on over to Dexerto. This is an article from May 10th. Uh, technically, oh, I didn't even mention at the top of the show. Uh, this podcast has transitioned back to a week-to-week basis. We do an every-other-week uh, schedule during the off-season of the Overwatch League. However, I was supposed to transition back to every week. Uh, last week, however, life kind of got to me, and uh, I wasn't able to record an episode. So last week, that didn't happen. It was supposed to be the first week of back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Uh, that didn't happen, but here we are. Let's hope that this week and the following week turn out better. And we do manage to get two episodes in a row. So I digress. This is the plan from now on so that we can cover each week's games in the Overwatch League. So this first article is actually would have been in the previous week's episode. However, of course, there was no episode. So we're going to bring it over here because it does have some interesting things in it. So as I was about to say, let's head on over to Dexerto with an article by Michael Gwilliam posted on May 10th, which reads, Korean Overwatch 2 Insider shares bad news about PvE and Jeff Kaplan's departure. On May 10th, a Korean YouTuber uploaded a video detailing many controversies controversies at Blizzard regarding the development of Overwatch 2 and how Jeff Kaplan seemingly opposed the live service element. According to details translated by Redditor, TCGTMS. The original Overwatch was not designed as a live service game, and only when the game became a massive hit did the team add more heroes and maps than planned. Quote, they shipped the product with the mindset that once this had been released, they can just tweak minor things like a non-live service game, they explained, noting how this approach was in effect when work began on Overwatch 2. The report goes on to claim that Jeff Kaplan and others on the team viewed Overwatch 2's PvE as being the primary focus to leaving Overwatch 1 in the same with little in the way of updates that made sense. When the PvE portion of Overwatch 2 fell into development hell, there was pressure from Activision Blizzard's leadership to get the game out, resulting in Jeff Kaplan leaving. The source credits Walter Kong, who came from Epic Games, as making the call to split Overwatch 2's PvE and PvP to get the game out sooner, claiming that this is why the beta feels so, quote, bare bones to some. 
Quote, without a change in leadership to Walter, Overwatch players would not have had hands-on experience with Overwatch 2. The only thing they would have seen was endless delays in both showing the and delivering the game, the insider alleged. Essentially, the insider claims that Overwatch 2 will have more of a, quote, live service model akin to games such as Fortnite and Warzone, despite it originally not being designed as such. As always, take these reports with a grain of salt, but if true, it could indicate exactly why Jeff Kaplan left Blizzard and why we haven't seen much in the way of Overwatch 2's PvE. So, of course, this article, I mean, I like the article itself because it kind of breaks down uh, the, the the reported findings of this, uh, this, this Korean Overwatch 2 insider, air quotes. Um, but at the same time, I mean... I don't really think it's that groundbreaking information. I think anyone who's been following the development of Overwatch 2, um, from the unveiling, from the you know fact that people did actually play the PVE back in, I want to say 2019 and things like that, and we've just seen very little of it ever since, I think a lot of this does come not come as too much of a shock to those of us in the know. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a pretty good idea that, yeah, that's probably what was going on there. Um, we've all heard the rumors about the pressure from from the higher ups at Activision Blizzard to go live service to make uh, competitors with the biggest properties, aka Warzone, Fortnite, uh, Apex Legends, things like that. And of course, uh, the PVE, which is probably more of a traditional Blizzard style game, uh, has kind of fallen to the wayside. Now, I do like that they actually point out, I believe it was Walter, Walter Kong, that's right, coming from Epic Games, making the call to split the PVE and the PVP. Um, because I had actually talked in the past about how, um, Joseph Staten or Staten, I'm not sure which with Microsoft kind of came into 343 studios. And, uh, when he returned there, he had a big impact on splitting out the PVP section from the single player portion of, uh, Halo Infinite. And I obviously have an episode that, uh, I, I kind of went into the fact there that that's what they really needed to do. And lo and behold, that seems like, uh, what Walter Kong may have come in and done for them. Um, obviously in this case, it has meant mostly, uh, silence on the PVE side. Whereas with Halo, they were, I think able, because they work with Microsoft as opposed to Activision Blizzard, they were able to, uh, share a lot more of the details and the behind the scenes of what's actually been going on there. Um, and how all that worked. And then, of course, leading up to the actual launch. Now, if you recall, uh, the single player was actually delayed. Um, in fact, the full game was delayed about a year from when it was originally slated to launch after there was, you know, a very public showing and people were disappointed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I digress. Um, I think that uh, it's probably the right call. You basically need to, you know, you've basically got two different products here. You need a project manager to say, somebody needs to manage this side, somebody needs to manage this side. And then we have a team that will bring them together uh, sort of in the end or, um, you know, ensures some continuity between the two sides but understands that they are in fact two sort of separate products and from the sounds of it and and i think from what everyone kind of surmises um we're probably going to very much get two separate products in the way that um uh the pvp side of things is likely going to be free to play going to be available everywhere going to be much more accessible and you'll you'll only wind up paying for overwatch 2 if you so choose to buy into the PVE portion of things. So anyways, I digress. That's kind of a, you know, a lot of reading between the lines and everything, but I like to, I wanted to bring that up because it does, you know, give me even the slightest grain of concrete to, uh, to what I think we all kind of suspect is going on and has gone on in the past as it relates to Overwatch 2. So 
Our next article is going to take us over to theloadout.com with an article by Aaron Down on May 13th, which reads, Overwatch 2's Wrecking Ball re-enabled for OWL this weekend. Wrecking Ball initially proved too much for Overwatch 2's beta to handle thanks to a bug on Ilios, which caused the weaponized hamster to disconnect everyone from the server. As discovered by former OWL Pro Super, jump grappling the floor twice in the ruined spawn room would room would instantly kick everyone except the offending rodent from the game. Despite the bug being fixed in the latest Overwatch 2 patch notes, the pros are still playing on an earlier patch. Whether the announcement means Owl will now be played on the latest patch, which introduces Zenyatta's new snapkick passive ability, among a slew of changes to some of the other Overwatch 2 heroes, or if there will be a, simply a hotfix to the current pro patch remains to be seen. Although Owl teams have been getting on just fine without everyone's favorite bundle of fluff, if you discount Winston, Winston that is, teams hoping to integrate the adorable Death Ball into their compositions will now have the ability to do so without fear of cause of causing unintended destruction to the game. They then have a quote embedded from Sean Miller, which reads, Guess who's back? Back again. Wrecking Ball will be available for hashtag Owl2022 play this weekend. The first series of this weekend's Overwatch League action will see the Florida Mayhem take on the Vancouver Titans when play resumes on Friday, May 13th. That game obviously already happened. So I wanted to highlight this because uh, once I go over the games, I mean, I'm not even sure if I can actually recall who played Wrecking Ball, but I know we saw Wrecking Ball this weekend. Uh, so anyways, important to note that they did manage to get that fixed. And I think the turnaround must have been about a week. I think it was, I think uh, not this past weekend, obviously, uh, the, the 14th and 15th, but the weekend prior, Wrecking Ball was disabled, and he was back for this uh, this most recent weekend, so there you have it. Now, let's stick to May 13th, but this time we're going to jump over to DottieSports.com with an article by Scott Dew, uh, which reads, Mercy, Baptiste, and Sojourn see changes in latest Overwatch 2 beta patch. A new update is now live for the Overwatch 2 beta, featuring changes to Mercy, Baptiste, and Sojourn. Mercy's Super Jump is now a part of the game with this update, giving players the ability to cancel Guardian Angel by using the Crouch key and launch her high into the air. It's been a technique used by Mercy players for a while, but it's now official. Quote, This is an initial implementation of new functionality designed to give Mercy players more options in how they use Guardian Angel, Blizzard Entertainment said. Some Mercy players were already able to do similar boosts by using a somewhat complicated technique often referred to as Super Jump. This new functionality will allow all players to more consistently perform similar boosts while the original technique is still there and remains untouched. Baptiste's change is for his regenerative burst ability, which will now heal for 50 instantly and then 50 over time, instead of 100 over time like it used to be. The instant heal portion will be doubled on targets that are 50% health or lower, too. Sojourn's Railgun, meanwhile, has had its primary fire rate increased from 15, no, 13 to 15 shots per second, and the maximum ammo was increased from 40 to 45. Quote, Sojourn has been a little weak since her initial addition to the roster, Blizzard said. While this change doesn't seem huge, increasing her rate of fire increases her alternate fire charge rate and ultimate game, as well as purely increasing her primary fire's raw DPS. Whenever a weapon's rate of fire changes, it also changes how quickly the weapon will drain its magazine and run out of ammo. We're increasing her ammo count to compensate for this. The full patch notes for the update can be found below. So I'll quickly read through these, um, and then I'll go back and, and maybe touch on uh, touch on them all. Um, I mean, we basically just covered them, so it's not that big of a deal. Mercy, Guardian Angel can now 
also be cancelled by using the crouch key. If this key is used to cancel the ability, Mercy will be launched high into the air. Baptiste Regenerative Burst now heals for 50 instantly and 50 over time instead of 100 over time. Additionally, the instant heal portion will be doubled on targets that are 50% or lower health. Sojourn. Railgun primary rate of fire increased from 15 to thir from 13 to 15 shots per second. I don't know why I always want to flip that. Railgun max ammo increased from 40 to 45. So there you have it. Um, some pretty simple notes, honestly, but uh, some interesting changes. I like the uh, Baptiste change there. Kind of gives you a quicker boost initially, and then obviously there's less to heal. Um, the doubling of it on targets at 50% or lower is also interesting. Kind of incentivizes you to wait a little bit more to pop that uh, that heal. But at the same time, I mean, generally speaking, if a player is being targeted, um, then they get the, the, their health gets drained a lot quicker so it does help out in that sense um the sojourn uh primary rate of fire and maximum ammo increases as they mentioned there you know one balances out the other kind of thing and also should hopefully increase sojourn's playability just a little bit i know uh in the beta i think at a casual level she's getting played quite a bit and that's largely due to the fact that she's a new character however at the pro side of things, we have not actually seen a lot of her getting played, and that's simply because I think she they they undertuned her a little bit. Um, whereas a character like uh, like uh, Soldier um, and and some others are quite a bit more useful in terms of their utility um, and things like that. So the Mercy change, uh, interesting that they're kind of embracing this sort of community found secret that's not so secret that's been around for quite a while. Um, and, and kind of sort of uh, working with it. I do think that they're likely to change how it's implemented. Um, maybe even just, I feel like they could easily just make it into uh, a very similar mechanic as Baptiste's uh, boost jump kind of thing. Uh, but anyways, interesting that they're uh, now embracing the that, that little secret. Moving on from there, we're going to head on over to... Actually, we're going to stick with .esports.com with an article on May 14th by Sage Datwin. Now, actually, this one, I think I missed... I just realized I, I definitely did not get a story... Oh, 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 hang on. Okay, nope, never mind. So they mentioned it in this article here, um, and that's what I was hoping for. I, I meant to pull it out, but uh, you'll see how this one ties into another story. Paris Eternal part ways with DPS player Naga. Paris Eternal parted ways with DPS player Naga today. The team seems to be looking to bounce back from its 0-2 start to the 2022 Overwatch League season. Naga's departure from the Paris Eternal marks the end of an 18-month tenure with the organization, during which he was one of the team's most consistent members. The roster move confused some members of the community who offered their own words of support for the Danish player. I've then got the uh, tweet embedded there from the Paris Eternal, which reads, Today we part ways with Naga. We want to thank Nikolai for all his contributions to the Eternal. We wish him nothing but the best moving forward. After the announcement, Naga explained his reason, uh, his release from the Paris Eternal was one-sided and not his choice. Quote, Just to clarify, it was their decision, and they should do what they think is best for the team, Naga tweeted. Meanwhile, I'll be looking for a team who believes in me. I wish them nothing but the best. I have some good friends on that team, and I really hope the best for them. Before playing for the Eternal, Naga played in the Overwatch Contenders circuit and represented Team Denmark in the 2019 Overwatch World Cup. Now he will be looking to reinforce another team in need of a DPS this season. As for Paris Eternal, the start of the 2022 season has not been kind to the team. They are tied for 11th with the New York Excelsior in the West with a 0-2 series and a 1-6 individual games record. The organization signed American DPS player Wub 
with hopes of turning its 2022 season around. He will debut this Sunday on the team's matchup against the Toronto Defiant. So there you have it. Um, the, the second article that I was mentioning there that I did actually mean to pull ahead of time. It uh, doesn't look like Dottie Sports actually even has an article about it. They just have the tweet uh, linked to in at the end there. Uh, was the signing of Wub. Um, so when that came out, it was a little bit like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Um, I just want to double check when that was actually announced there. Uh, so they Paris Eternal tweeted about Wub joining the team on May 11th. So three days before they announced that uh, Naga was 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 being dropped from the roster, if you will. So an interesting play. Um, I definitely don't think many people would have said that Naga was necessarily the a weak point in the team. Um, Paris is a bit of an oddity, though. I think outside of the Shanghai Dragons and the Dallas Fuel, who of course we know had stellar previous seasons, um, and and for all intents and purposes, very well built rosters. Um, the Paris Eternal are one of the few teams who didn't make a lot of changes this offseason. They, they kept, I think, five of their previous players um, and have primarily been running with all of them. So it was really interesting to see this this move this late in the season. Uh, first adding Wub being a bit of a shock, but hey, you know, making changes to hopefully uh, create some positive momentum and then getting rid of Naga. I, I do think that uh, had it been up to certain people on the team, they probably would have just signed Wub and hopefully uh, figured out a way to integrate him into the team. But I suspect there's some element of... Um, uh, yeah, resource constraints that meant they had to get rid of someone and for whatever reason they decided it be Naga so wish him all the best hopefully he can find another team if he uh, so desires to stay within the Overwatch scene um, and also good luck to Wub on the Paris Eternal going forward I'll have a few more thoughts on him uh, shortly here now let's head on over to Dexerto this time with an article by Bill Cooney on May 15th, which reads Overwatch Anniversary Remix Volume 2 dates officially announced. Overwatch has replaced the traditional anniversary and summer games event with a new anniversary remix for 2022. Instead of new skins, players have the chance to earn exclusive cosmetics once again and recolored versions of other classic skins. Now, Blizzard has come out with official dates for Volume 2 of the event, and it seems earlier leaks were spot on. They've then got the tweet embedded there from the Play Overwatch account, which says, let's get this party started. Overwatch Anniversary Remix Volume 2 begins on May 17th. So at the time you're listening to this, that was yesterday. Confirming the dates included on the May 8th leak, this trailer on May 15th revealed that the Remix Volume 2 would start on May 17th and end on June 6th. What the teaser didn't tell us is what skins will be returning and which will be getting remixed, but thanks to the leak, we already know what to expect. According to the previous leak, the three weekly challenges will once again bring back exclusive skins from Overwatch's past as well. Dr. Zeigler Mercy, Mardi Gras Ash, and Maestro Sigma will all be returning. What we don't know is exactly which order they'll be available. As for skin remixes, we know that Okami, Hanzo, Dragon Symmetra, and Ribbit Lucio will all be getting recolors, adding according to the leak. What we don't know is what color they'll be getting. Black could be a good guess, though, since the Volume 1 skins were all colored mainly white. Volume 2 is happening right around the same time the regular anniversary event was going on, so we could see one or two more before whatever Blizzard has planned next event-wise takes place. Sorry, the ending there was a little bit awkward. Um, 
So anyways, I wanted to highlight this one because obviously at the time of listening to this, this will be available and in your hands and you will be able to play it if anyone is still interested in playing Overwatch 1 and doesn't have access to uh, Overwatch 2, of course. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I like that they're doing this. I like the alternative colored skins. Uh, in my humble opinion, there are better ways that they could do something like that. I actually personally think that uh, doing alternate colors of skins is kind of... I don't want to say cheap because I appreciate it, but kind of the easy way out. In in my opinion, you should almost be able to get a skin that comes in a sort of standard color, but then you should be able to apply a list of palettes to it. So I would love to be able to select my skin. So for Reinhardt, maybe it's the the uh, bl- Blackheart skin. So it's traditionally, you know, a very black one with, with red I don't know, glowing in his stomach and his eyes and stuff like that. And I would love to be able to select that. And when you select it, it brings up just a list of color variants. So you could, you know, the primary one is just called standard, but then the next one is red. And the next, and after that, you've got a pink one. And after that, you've got an orange one and you've got a green one and a blue one, et cetera, et cetera. And it just literally, you select them. And I mean, one of the variants, as I mentioned there, uh, if you're using the black heart as an example, one of the variants would be a red one, which would look like the Bloodheart skin. So that kind of eliminates the need for this duplicate of that skin that already exists. It also eliminates the need for the white variant that um, we saw in the Remix Volume 1. Um, and then you could do something, you know, uh, make other skins wholly unique. So you have a range of color of variants you could apply to any skin, um, and et cetera, et cetera. I digress. That's just, that's just how I see it. I've always thought that the color palette swaps are just a little boring. I... That's not true. I think they're very cool. I just think there are better ways to go about it. And I think you could really embrace these skins if you gave people, players, a little bit more freedom with them. Anyways, hire me, Blizzard. I got some great ideas, obviously. Well, that actually takes us to the end of the news segment of the show. Yes, I realize uh, we didn't cover a whole lot there. Um, It was a little bit of a slow news week, if I'm being honest. Um, but with that, I mean, let's, let's dive on into the games because, hey, we had a pretty stellar weekend of the Overwatch League. Right on target. All right. So we started things off on Friday, May 13th with the Florida Mayhem taking on the Vancouver Titans. And wouldn't you know it, let me take a quick look at my pickums here. I almost nailed this one. However, I did give Vancouver a little bit of credit. I said Florida would win it 3-1. And as it turned out, Florida came out on top with a 3-0 record. Let's take a quick peek at the match details here. Looks like round one was on Coliseo, and Florida took this 1-0. Round two was Dorado. Florida took it 3-2. Round three was on King's Row, and Florida took it 3-0. to zero. Now, that, that obviously seems like a pretty quick match. Guess what? It was. It was fairly one-sided, although there were glimpses of hope for Vancouver. Honestly, I did find in Coliseo uh, there were times when Florida just basically steamrolled Vancouver, but every now and then they would get their act together, um, and it seemed like they could flip things quite easily, but then they would flip it, and it just wouldn't quite get them to the point they needed it to, um, or Florida would make it back to uh, to the robot or the wall or whatever, um, and was able to take control again and flip it their way. Map 2 on Dorado was actually pretty interesting, because, um, as I mean, as you can tell from the score, Vancouver didn't have the worst time, but 
Obviously, Florida, again, just outpaced them. And that brought us to King's Row. Now, King's Row was maybe, in some ways, the most interesting map because on King's Row, um, Florida pushed Vancouver off the defense very quickly and just walked in and capped it. And I believe this is actually when Hydron on the Florida Mayhem uh, posted in the chat, uh, you guys okay or something like that? And of course, Masa um, on the Vancouver Titans just said in chat, nah, which is interesting to me because Masa coming from Atlanta, obviously Atlanta known as a little bit of a chirpy squad. Um, and the other thing that I think Atlanta has been known for on occasion is a bit of throwing. Now, I don't mean to say that they would purposely throw an entire match or anything like that. Um, but having read articles, having heard interviews, um, and, and just other podcasts with people who are more in the know than I am, I distinctly remember hearing uh, one person on a certain Overwatch podcast that is very well known saying that Atlanta in the past had a reputation for when things are over, they just roll over. They, they, they admit defeat and they're just going to let you take it. They're not going to super push for that, that comeback kind of thing, especially, I mean, as it comes to scrims, but obviously this is not scrims. This was a live match. So a little bit different situation there. Obviously you would hope that no team is going to throw when it comes to, uh, a, an actual, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a qualifying match outside of a scrim or something like that. But I just did find it very interesting. Now, I mean, it is fair to also say that at that point, Vancouver was boomed. They were getting outplayed pretty much at every turn. Um, and especially by a team that in my opinion, uh, uh, Vancouver should be aiming to beat. If you look at the teams in the West here, um, I think it's pretty easy to pick out maybe, I mean, we've got 13 teams in the West here. It's pretty easy to pick out probably five teams that almost every team should aim to beat. They're, the rest are probably in an upper echelon where uh, they could probably beat you on any given day. But there are at least five teams that I would say fall into that kind of bottom category that all of those teams in that group should be striving to beat. So we're looking at Vancouver, who's currently in 13th place, which is bottom of the West. We're looking at Paris, who's in 12th. We're looking at New York, who's in 11th. I would then argue we're looking at the Boston Uprising, who's in 10th. And the fifth one that I want to put in that category is the London Spitfire. London is currently in third. Now, London is actually tied for third um because there's a one two three four five one two three four there's a five-way tie for third place but still that's what i would say the other one that does kind of fall into that category and falls in a little closer at this point is the florida mayhem right so then we've got you know i guess i just ate my own words we've got six there and florida it was not in my original grouping of them but if you say london and florida are the two that probably sit at the top of that echelon and could make their way out of it relatively easily a team like vancouver a team like paris a team like new york should all be really striving to beat those other teams and it definitely seemed like uh vancouver got gassed pretty quickly and uh just let it go so anyways those are my thoughts on that match Moving on from there, our second game of Friday, May 13th, saw the San Francisco Shock take on the Houston Outlaws. Now, uh, I should mention, you, the Friday matches, I'm not going to say that I 
watch them super closely because I do always put them on while I'm working. Uh, but I did have all of these matches on. And then, I mean, the Vancouver match is a little more fresh in my mind because I did rewatch it today uh, again as I was working. Um, but when it comes to the San Francisco Shock against the Houston Outlaws, I don't think many people would have put their money on the outlaws if i check my pickums here i actually nailed this with a three to one uh score for san francisco so san francisco did come out on top uh taking one point on new queen street then taking a uh, two to one score on circuit royale the houston outlaws managed to secure their win on midtown midtown with a three to one and then the san francisco shot came back on ilios with a two to one win all right so if you ask me the big takeaways from this match probably are more about Houston than anything. Of course, we know that the map that Houston got was Midtown, where we did say, see, sorry, Dante playing tank. And of course, if we look at New Queen Street, we also saw uh, Dante on tank. And if we look at Ilios, we also saw uh, Dante on tank. Circuit Royale, on the other hand, was Piggy. So they're definitely playing, I think, in my mind, a little bit more to the map. Um, Piggy does suit Circuit Royale quite well. Uh, there's there's some, some I don't know, uh, high ground sections and some turns that you seemingly need that mobile uh, shield that Sigma provides, which does work well. Um, regardless, though, Houston wasn't able to take Circuit Royale with Piggy on, uh, on Sigma, which, of course, is a character he's known for. If you look at New Queen Street, you look at Ilios, and you look out Midtown... Dante was playing tank. Um, if I recall correctly, I think he did mostly play uh, Doomfist, which is what we've seen in the past. And of course, uh, San Francisco able to come out on top, just like when we saw the Toronto Defiant uh, sort of figure out how to counter and play against that Dante Doomfist tank. The next match there was the Atlanta Reign taking on the Washington Justice. I did not pay too much attention to this match, especially once Washington seemed to be coming out on top. I've gone on record before in saying that I am not a fan of the Washington Justice. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Atlanta Reign, but I did think they would win this one, and I did hope they would win this one because, again, I'm not a fan of Washington. Now, if we break it down, Coliseo went to Washington 1-0. to zero. Uh, Dorado then went to Washington 3-0, and Eichenwald went to Washington 5-4. So the biggest takeaway here was that uh, Atlanta really started to turn things around on Eichenwald. Seemed like they might finally have gotten their things together, but of course, uh, Washington able to just uh, continue their role and come out on top. Decay does continue to be a pretty stellar DPS for them. Uh, working alongside Krillin, and I think Mag has been impressive as well, uh, really managing to kind of rally the team and everything like that. So anyways, good job, Washington, I guess. I'm not a fan of you, so what do I care? Moving on from there, Saturday, May 14th, we saw the London Spitfire take the Boston Uprising. Now, if you ask me, I would have put my money on Boston. I did in the Pickums. I picked them to win it 3-1. I decided to give London the pity point and say that they would get one map off Boston. However, it turned out quite the opposite with London coming out on top 3-1 over Boston. Now, I didn't pay... I didn't watch this match too closely either. Uh, I actually had a busy Saturday, so I didn't watch a lot of the matches. Uh, map one was on Coliseo, and it went to Boston 1-0. to Now, this is actually kind of an interesting uh, pattern that we're seeing with some of these bottom teams. I think we've seen it with Vancouver. I think we've seen it with New York, and we're now seeing it with Boston as well, or at least in this one case, where similar to how people used to say uh, when you know San Francisco would lose control or something like that, and the, the kind of saying was always, it's just control. 
you know, it doesn't matter. We lost control. We're going to win it on the other uh, map map uh, game modes kind of thing. And what we're seeing here is that seems to be a little bit of a theme with some of these other teams. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, let me just pull up a match from the final match of the day on May 14th, which was the Vancouver Titans against the New York Excelsior. If I'm not mistaken, was it the first, was it the push map that Vancouver won? It was. Just like I thought, it was the new Queen Street map that Vancouver came out on top. So again, if we look at the Boston versus London map, or uh, game, sorry, of course, Boston comes out on top on the very first round with uh, Coliseo being the pick. Boston comes out on top, and then we move to Route 66. So at this point, I think everyone kind of thought, oh, you know, uh, just like we expected, Boston coming out on top over London, London not showing up too well. We go to Route 66, and London actually takes it 5-3, to three. so London actually pushing it much farther than the Boston Uprising, and clearly having just a stellar defense, uh, being able to halt Boston before they were even able to get 4 or 5. If we go to Midtown, London took it 3-1. to one. We go to Lijiang Tower, London cleaned up with a 2-0, and oh, and of course they didn't make it to New Queen Street, so... Big surprise, I think, to most people um, that that round. I would be surprised if most people had picked London over Boston. London didn't seem to be too good, and especially, uh, I think, there's not a lot of faith in their tank line with Hadi. I think a lot of people are kind of seeing him as a Reinhardt one-trick now. I, again, I didn't watch this match too closely, so I'm not sure if he played anyone outside of Reinhardt, but whatever they did, it obviously worked as it secured them the win, and... London is now actually sitting with two wins and one loss, which, if you, if I'm not mistaken, is more wins than they had all of last season. So, moving on from there, sticking with May 14th, probably the match of the weekend, probably one of the biggest matches that people were looking forward to the most. We saw the Dallas Fuel taking on the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now, this is actually a match that I should have gone back and watched again. Um, again, I had just a busy Saturday, so I didn't get to see the whole thing, uh, but I did see bits of it here and there, and I saw the end, uh, and I was very pleased with the result. So, over on Coliseo, we started things off with the Los Angeles Gladiators taking the round 1-0. to On Watchpoint Gibraltar, the Los Angeles Gladiators again took the round four to three. So clearly, um, I mean, not necessarily on Coliseo, but on Watchpoint Gibraltar, you can see uh, a level of competition here where the Glads are, are doing very well, but Dallas isn't doing bad. They, they still got three. Uh, LA managed to, you know, get that fourth point just to cap things off. And at that point, Dallas are down by two. We're looking at match point. And of course, we're looking at the potential for a reverse sweep. We then go to Eichenwald, where the Dallas Fuel seemingly clean things up and take Eichenwald 3-1. We then go to Ilios, with the Dallas Fuel coming out on top, 2-1. And finally, New Queen Street, with the Dallas Fuel completing the reverse sweep, first reverse sweep of the season, I believe, taking it 1-0. Um, what does this mean, really? I couldn't really tell you. I wish I'd gotten a chance to watch this one closer. Um... I had actually predicted that score would be exactly that, 3-2 to two for the Dallas Fuel. I'm super thrilled that they came through with the clutch reverse sweep. Now, moving on from there, uh, we go to our final game of May 14th, where the Vancouver Titans took on the New York Excelsior. Um, I already spoiled this one a little bit. Uh, the Vancouver Titans did manage to get a map. They started things off quite well on New Queen Street, taking New Queen Street 1-0. to zero. And then, I don't know what happened here. We go to Watchpoint Gibraltar, where New York gets it 1-0. We go to uh, Eichenwald, where New York gets it 1-0. We go to Lijiang Tower, where New York gets it 2-1. This match as a whole, 
I mean, don't get me wrong. Vancouver came out on round one looking better. They looked like they were going to take the series. Um, they looked like the more coordinated team. They looked like the uh, the the more, I don't even know what to call it, the, the new more opportunistic team. Uh, they seemed to be squashing New York uh, as much as they could. Yes, New York was still, you know, winning some fights and that kind of thing. But Vancouver looked way more coordinated, looked like they were going to take this. Watchpoint Gibraltar, things kind of fell apart. Now, they did change their style here um, on New Queen Street. I believe they were playing a Winston uh, sort of dive uh, meta. And on Watchpoint Gibraltar, for whatever reason, they tried to go to a Roadhog uh, style, which just didn't work um, and was a little bit shocking to see. And it was like, okay, so you guys tried that. You know it doesn't work. Don't do it again. Go back to the uh, the first method over on Eichenwald. They did that, and it just didn't come together the way that it had previously. Now, if we look at Lijiang Tower um, and Eichenwald as sort of a whole, I mean, Matt Morello, as he commentated, and 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 Uber shouts Mitch, uh, Mitch Leslie, as they were commentating, the term toilet bowl came up, and that is what this match felt like. One minute you thought Vancouver had it all together and they were going to put it away. The next minute you thought New York had it uh, put away and then it would flip back, and then it would flip back, and then it would flip back. It was just these two teams circling the drain, fighting it out for who's not going to be at the bottom, and ultimately, New York came out on top 3-1. to one. It was... Yeah. I would hesitate to say it was an impressive display for New York, but I would say it was disappointing for Vancouver. Again, if we look at the overall standings, New York is a team that should be well within Vancouver's range if you're looking for to get a win. Now, this it goes the other direction as well. For New York, Vancouver should be a team that you are confident you can get a win against. At this point, there's only two of those teams, and we'll touch on one of them shortly here. We then move into Sunday, May 15th, with our first match of the day being the Houston Outlaws against the Florida Mayhem. Now, unfortunately, my Florida Mayhem could not complete the win here, and uh, the Houston Outlaws did take it 3-2. to two. It was a good match, though. Um, I, I am so far impressed with what Florida is able to do. And I think if, if they kind of tweak a few small things, they could really be fighting for not necessarily a, you know, top of the tops or anything like that, but I think they could be making a play for that sort of middle of the pack, middle of the pack. Um, I think they'll be fighting for a gatekeeper position. If you ask me, um, I, I don't necessarily think they can break through it. Uh, but I think, you know, I feel like Houston is probably overall ahead of them, um, even though in the standings that's not how it appears right now. I think Houston should be above them, uh, just power rankings-wise kind of thing. But I digress. Uh, round one was Coliseo. It went 1-0 for the Houston Outlaws. Round two went to Florida with a 2-1 uh, win on Route 66. Round three was Kings Row, and Houston took it 3-2. So here we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Round four was Lijiang Tower, which went a clean 2-0 for Florida. And then round five was New Queen Street, which the Houston Outlaws took 1-0. Um, so disappointing finish for the Florida Mayhem, but I think they could really be proud of that match. I think they'll probably go back and look at a lot of the plays they made and a lot of uh, a lot of what they made work and a lot of what they tried and didn't work um, in that match because it, it was a good one, honestly. Moving on from there, San Francisco Shock came out again and stomped the New York Excelsior. Um, it was a 3-1 to one win. So, I mean, I guess they didn't stomp them, but I, San Francisco just not looking like they're struggling at all. Although I don't think they've necessarily had a super tough opponent yet. It'll be really interesting when they take on a Dallas or a... Um, 
and uh, LA Gladiators. Um, trying to think who else they might take on even washington justice could be interesting i think they already played justice though and i think they pretty well stomped them um but once justice gets i mean justice has a few wins under their belt already so it'll be interesting to see how they play against some of these top teams anyways i digress when they took on the new york excelsior round one was on new queen street and it went to the san francisco shock one to zero dorado went to the san francisco shock three to one king's row went to the san nope to the new york excelsior five to four and oasis went to the san francisco shock with a clean two and oh um san francisco definitely a team to watch um if you want to see high level play and you want to see them doing well watch a san francisco game they are they're looking very crisp very clean very fine um some of the parts of their team that uh haven't necessarily played with the rest of the team um you know in contenders and things like that are probably the weaker spots so of course i mean i don't need to beat around the bush here i'm talking about Kaluge, their their tank line um but finn kilo and proper uh just mesh so well together and have experience together so they look so clean and then violet on top of them being a veteran presence being one of the top tier veteran presence at what he does um he meshes really well with them and sort of bringing in Kaluge into all of that it's clear that Kaluge is kind of the weak point but when you're playing around such stellar uh, supports and DPS, it doesn't necessarily matter that he is, uh, is it, again, the weakest link. He's, he's the weakest link in a team of, of seemingly all-stars. So he's doing, he's doing very well. The whole team is doing very well. But uh, looking forward to seeing what they can really do against uh, some of these uh, sort of top teams, if you will. Now, our final match of the weekend was a quick one. It was the Paris Eternal taking on the Toronto Defiant, and Toronto came out on top 3-0. to zero. So our first map was New Queen Street, which Toronto took 1-0. to zero. Then we went to Route 66, which Toronto took 2-1. to one. And finally, Eichenwald was a 3-0 to zero roll for the Toronto Defiant. Um, now, this match, obviously, I wanted to touch on. Um, it was a good match on Toronto's side. Uh, but again, this match, to me, struck me as the definition of those you should win this matches um that was phrased weird but the in the same way i was talking about vancouver uh new york paris um you know florida uh, boston and london the same way i was talking about those teams and looking at each other and saying we should beat these teams any of the other teams that in my mind are above those that bottom tier should be looking at these bottom teams and should be shouldn't even be batting an eye they should be looking at them and just winning it I, like i don't know any other way to put it so the fact that toronto three and owed paris to me bodes very well for toronto it at least says to me that we have uh for the most part appropriately ranked toronto in our minds because i would not have expected paris to put up much of a fight and toronto put them away with a clean three and oh um, if we look at New Queen Street, I mean, New Queen Street, Toronto was just looking coordinated. Um, f there was a while there where it was like, is Paris going to win a fight? Um, obviously, alt economy is a thing. And so Paris is able to eventually build up something, mount a little bit of a fight. And, uh, you know, they did win some fights and things like that. But ultimately, the skill and, and everything that Toronto had, they, they were able to demonstrate why they're a better team than than the Paris Eternal. Um, Route 66, yeah, Paris got one one point um, and Toronto got two. Eichenwald, I mean, going three to zero to uh, the Toronto Defiant over the Paris Eternal. Not incredibly surprising the way Paris was playing at that point. I think it's safe to say they were boomed. Now, to talk a little bit higher about Paris, I did think that Wub had a decent uh, introduction. Um, 
in my mind, this team continues to pretty well be carried by Khan. I think on uh, the support line, Khan is really impressive. He's a very good Anna, um, and and I think he's doing well and he's doing everything he can to to help the team. Um, Wub looked good at times. Uh, he was playing a lot of a uh, Reaper style, which I don't know if the team had been practicing in that sense. And I think I had read somewhere that Wub actually hadn't gotten much time to play with the team. He was pretty new to the team, so that's always going to be hard, especially when you're a DPS and DPS are being relied on so heavily in the game now. Um, but overall, I thought he played well. I think he'll get to play better and and hopefully uh, in their upcoming matches, he's able to, uh, you know, show off why why he was signed a little bit more um, and, and, and really kind of demonstrate his ability. So, but overall, a great match for Toronto and one that I would have hoped, I, I did hope they would win. Um, I put it as a three to two for Toronto. I wasn't as down on uh, Paris as, as I think a lot of people were prior. Um, after seeing this match, though, unfortunately, I am going to be a lot more down on Paris just because, again, you know, it's that new player. It's that, you know, you're basically building a team again. Um, you're looking for that synergy and and trying to figure out how to play with each other again, which kind of sucks because the season started and now you're behind, you know. If anything, hey, maybe Vancouver's got a team they can beat now. So that was week two in the Overwatch League. Now, of course, that was the Western region and only the Western region, and that's because the Eastern region games have not started as they were delayed two weeks thanks to, of course, you guessed it, COVID-19. But that means we can move on to... That was my dog shaking in the background. Just ignore that. I don't feel like stopping the show and then and re-recording over that. So anyways, we can move on to our pickums, and we can take a look at week three, which will be our first week of Eastern region play. Speed boost! Okay, so let's move on over to our pickums here. We'll pull them up, and we're actually going to do the Eastern region first, of course, because these games, uh, I mean, technically speaking, I'm in mountain time, so these games start at 4 a.m. on May 20th, which is, of course, this upcoming Friday. So we're going to kick things off with hopefully a banger from the Shanghai Dragons against the Philadelphia Fusion. Oof, that game could be spicy. Um, let me take a quick look at the roster here. I mean, obviously, I know what the Shanghai Dragons look like quite well because they are uh, primarily a returning team. Uh, one of the, as I mentioned earlier in the show, one of the few teams bring back most of their roster. And if we look at Philadelphia, they've actually built out their roster a little bit since uh, since what we saw early on. So they've got Fury and Belos Ria. Sorry, I almost said Belarosa. But Belos Ria on tank. They've got Carpe and MN3 on hit scan. They've got Zest on flex. They've got Fixa on main support and Aim God on flex support. Overall, this team doesn't look bad on paper. Um, I definitely could see them making a play, especially with what happened to the Chengdu Hunters and them losing, you know, a, a highly touted player on hit scan like Aprita, um, as well as a few other players. I could see Philadelphia competing for top three in the eastern region um i'm i'm going to say with shanghai and seoul so i am going to give this one to shanghai but it could be a really good coming out party for philadelphia the, the problem is it's against the toughest opponent so i'm gonna set it as three to one for the shanghai dragons now at 5 30 a.m mountain time we then see the guangzhou charge taking on the los angeles valiant which is kind of funny because I have the Los Angeles Valiant ranked in 19th on my power rankings, and the Guangzhou charge one position above them in 18th. So, battle for the bottom, if you ask me. Um, 
I'm going to say the Guangzhou charge come out on top. I'm going to say that Valiant actually does okay in this round. I'm going to give it to a charge on a 3-2. to two. Then we've got the Hangzhou Spark taking on the Seoul Dynasty. I'm giving it to Seoul, definitely. Um, I believe in the Seoul that we see this season. I have Seoul actually placing 5th overall and the Hangzhou Spark placing 11th. Um, now my, my cohorts on the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast actually put Hangzhou up in 8th with Seoul in 4th and 5th uh, respectively for the different hosts there. Do I think Hangzhou will take a map? Yeah, sure. I'll give it to Seoul 3-1 to one, given it's uh, both of the team's first matches of the season. Then on May 21st, Saturday, May 21st, we see the Chengdu Hunters take on the Guangzhou Charge. I do still think Chengdu has a better team than the Guangzhou Charge. I think Guangzhou is quite low, and Chengdu hasn't dropped that far. Um, you know, looking at the roster, yes, it sucks that they lost a Prita because everyone, I think, was really excited to see a Prita on Hitscan uh, partnered with Leave on Flex. Um, if Leave still has his mojo, uh they st could still be a force to be reckoned with so i'm gonna i'm gonna say this is a three and oh for the chengdu hunters then the shanghai dragons take on the hangzhou spark um which probably in my mind i think we're going shanghai we're going seoul then maybe philadelphia it could be philadelphia it could be chengdu in third overall um but it could also be the hangzhou spark given given the losses that Chengdu has suffered uh, in terms of their players and everything. So I'll give this to Shanghai. I'm, I'm going to say this is 3-0, honestly. I, I think Philadelphia is probably a better team than the Hangzhou Spark, so I'm going to say this is 3-0. Finally, our last Eastern Region game on Saturday, May 21st, sees the Seoul Dynasty taking on the Los Angeles Valiant, and I'm going to give it to Seoul 3-0. I, I do not believe in the Valiant. Then on Sunday, May 22nd, the Philadelphia Fusion take on the Guangzhou Charge. I'm going to say Philly gets their first win of the season, and Guangzhou uh, suffers... Oh, wow, Guangzhou... Do all of these teams play three times this weekend? Holy cow. No, Shanghai plays twice. And who else only plays twice? Is it just Shanghai? Holy cow. This, this is obviously the first time I'm looking at the schedule here. There's Shanghai, so Shanghai plays twice. Philadelphia plays... Oh, Philly plays twice. Okay. Guangzhou plays every day of the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Valiant play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Hangzhou Spark play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And the Seoul Dynasty play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Wow, that's incredible. So that means Shanghai and Philly will probably play three games uh, in the coming, in the following weekend after this upcoming weekend. Wow, that is insane in the membrane. Okay, our second game on Sunday in the Eastern Region, we see Seoul taking on Chengdu. I'm going to say this is a banger of a match and give it to Seoul with a 3-2. to two. And then we see the Los Angeles Valiant taking on the Hangzhou Spark, in which I think the Spark will get their first win in the season. And I'll give the Valiant a pity point and say it's going to be a 3-1. to one. And I'm going to save those predictions in right now. Now let's move on to the region that I think we all know a little better, or at least I certainly do. And we're going to take a look at the Western Region Week 3 games starting on Friday, May 20th at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. The Paris Eternal take on the Washington Justice. This is going to be an easy 3-0 for Washington. At 2.30 p.m. after that, we're going to see the Florida Mayhem take on the New York Excelsior. I'm going to give it to Florida, 3-1. to one. And then finally, oh boy, ooh, oh boy, this is a scary matchup here uh, for us Toronto fans. The Dallas Fuel are taking on the Toronto Defiant. So Dallas is going to win this match. I have no qualms with saying that. Despite the fact that Toronto is currently sitting in third and in the actual third position based on map differential and and map win loss and things like that 
these the rankings in the west literally go san francisco shock in one la gladiators in two and toronto defiant in three and the dallas fuel are way down in ninth now both teams have a record of two and one right now but it's the differential that sets them apart um, and also has five other teams in third place i think the dallas fuel have to come out on top in this match does toronto get a map though that's the real question i actually haven't watched dallas play that much this season so i don't have a good gauge on this i'm gonna give i'm gonna give toronto a map i really want to say it's gonna be a three two but i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it to dallas three to one we're gonna jump over to saturday may 21st after that with the london spitfire taking on the houston outlaws again another really interesting one because london currently sitting in uh tied for third but technically in fourth position with the houston outlaws in eighth now the London Spitfire have a record of two and one, and the Houston Outlaws have a record of two and two. Um, so obviously, there's there's a bit of a games played difference there. And I want to say Houston is the stronger team, but with London, who did London beat this past weekend that I already talked about? London beat 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 beat, beat the Boston Uprising. Is it that impressive? Hmm. It was impressive for London to beat the Boston Uprising, but I don't think that that is necessarily an impressive feat for most teams uh, again i do think boston falls into that category of teams you should beat um, no matter who you are but i think the fact that london of all teams was able to beat them uh is is why it f- i feel high on london right now i do think houston is going to take this 3-0 and then we have what will definitely be a banger of a match with the san francisco shock taking on the la gladiators now this is interesting because again as i was saying i want to see san francisco get uh, have a real challenge here if i'm looking at the schedule so far san francisco took on houston which you know there's potential there that that could have been a challenge uh but it seemingly wasn't san francisco came on top three to one they took on new york that was a, a three to one i think i just saw as well um san francisco also played paris who they three and owed and they also played london who they three and owed so this is their first real test if you ask me um i think if you ask anyone really uh funny that the first week both their games were three and oh the second week both their games were three to one maybe in the third week maybe their games are all three to two it's hard to say i mean they only play one week so it could definitely happen um and it's against the gladiators i feel like san francisco can win this especially using some of the footage that they now have from the dallas versus la gladiators reverse sweep i'm gonna give it to san francisco i'm gonna say it's a three to two i could see it being a three to one but i'm gonna give glads the benefit of the doubt here we then move on to 4 p.m mountain time on saturday may 21st for toronto's second game of the weekend where toronto plays the boston uprising i'm gonna give this to toronto three two what am i gonna give boston boston is the team that i was just mentioning got beat out by paris no sorry london uh you know european team that's that's what i was thinking right that's gotta be it so london beat them three to one and then they also beat vancouver i know in the first weekend three to two and then glads beat them three to one as well so that's quite the spread of teams they played two two seemingly bottom teams and one good team and I think those matches went pretty much the way most people would have expected. So I think this is going to go to Toronto. I'll give Boston a map. I'll, I'll give it a 3-1. to one. 
We'll then move on to Sunday, May 22nd, when the Atlanta Reign take on the Vancouver Titans. I think Atlanta's going to bounce back with the 3-0 on the Titans. Then we're going to move on. I'm not even going to talk about that match too much. <laughs> um, to the Dallas Field taking on the Paris Eternal, which is going to be another 3-0 blowout. And then our final match of the weekend, we see the Washington Justice take on the Boston Uprising. And you know what? I think Sunday is going to be kind of a boring day of matches. I'm going to give it another 3-0. I think Sunday is going to be just a day of 3-0s. Uh, it's going to be a quick day. It starts at you know 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Going to be over by 5, 5.30 kind of thing. So I'm going to save those predictions. We are locking them in. Can't stop, won't stop. And with that, we find ourselves at the end of the show. So once again, thank you so much for listening to a One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you can of course find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc, etc. If you have a service that you'd like to find One Man Watchpoint on and you can't find it, of course, reach out to me over on Twitter at SirDrJM. That's at SirDrJM. Give me a follow, reach out to me over there, tweet at me, uh, DM me, whatever you've got, um, questions, comments, concerns, inquiries, topics for the show, uh, I don't know, breakdowns, something like that. Hit me with it over on Twitter, and I'm happy to bring it to the show because I would love to involve you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. And of course, hashtag rise together. Killed it!